Greetings, my friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean, your host. The website is www.scriptureandprophecy.com. This morning, we are resuming our study in the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel according to Luke. And we are ready for chapter 9 today. And uh, this one's filled with some interesting statements, um, some statements that I like to reference and, and quote often uh, in my studies. And uh, I think we're going to be blessed this morning. Uh, there'll be much to ponder, much to consider. And uh, it's about 62 verses this morning. As normal, we will read from the King James Bible. And I will stop and give any thoughts or commentary that I feel is put on my heart, if any. And I pray in the powerful name of Jesus that you would be blessed by this work this morning. Let us begin. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves, nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. And whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide, and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the tetrarch heard of all that was done by him and was perplexed because that it was said of some that John was risen from the dead and some that Elias had appeared and of others that one of the old prophets was risen again and Herod said John I have beheaded but who is this of whom I hear such things and he desired to see him and the apostles, when they returned, told him all that they had done. And he took them, and he went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Basidia. And the people, when they knew it, followed him. He received them, and he spake unto them of the kingdom of God, and healed them that had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the towns and the country round about and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. But he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all this people. For they were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Make them sit down by fifties in a company. And they did so, and he made them all sit down, and he took five loaves and two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed him and brake, and gave to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they did eat, and were filled, and there was, a, there was taken up of fragments that remained to them twelve baskets. Real quick, let's just stop. It's just a reminder that your source of food comes from God. I mean, even in the very beginning when Jesus sends out his disciples, 
He tells them not to take anything with them. Don't even don't take an extra coat. Don't take any food or any, you will be provided for. And then immediately following that in the story, we see this example where Jesus just multiplies the bread and multiplies the fish. The psalmist says, and I'm paraphrasing, that the King David talked about how he'd been young and he'd been old and all these things, and yet he had never seen the righteous baking bread. Let that be a reminder to us that he is our source. I went to the groceries last the grocery last night, and I noticed in two different grocery stores the meat supply all but has disappeared. And I know, and many of you know, that that supply is drying up. And uh, most people don't see it coming, but it is coming. It's coming to a city near you, for all of us, because it's just basic math. It's basic supply, demand. And so we know that that's coming. And I bring that up right this minute only to say that we should not fear. That just like God could provide manna from heaven for all of Israel out in the wilderness, how Jesus can multiply loaves of bread and fish and feed these, this massive multitude in the desert. And just like King David said, I've, I've been old and I've been young and I've never seen the righteous begging bread, God can and will provide. So do not fear. But instead, remember uh, where it all comes from to begin with. And we should also remember that we do not live on bread and water alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. All right, let's continue. Verse 18 here. And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Who say the people that I am? And they answered, said, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others say that the one of the old prophets is risen again. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be slain and be raised on the third day. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and in the holy and of the holy angels. But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. All right, let's hold up for a second. First thing we need to acknowledge is that Jesus is pointing out the fact that you must take up your cross daily. And what that looks like is that we're kind of laying down to our 
natural desires, what we want to do, what our flesh wants, what our, you know, I'd even go as far as to say, and this is something I've experienced in my own life that I can speak to. I think sometimes, not always, but sometimes that even means our our dreams, right? Our dreams and our ambitions have to die at the foot of the cross. And instead we take up the desires of God. We're taking up our taking up the cross daily and following after him instead of following after what maybe was our has been our dreams and I've I've personally had to watch a lot of dreams kind of die and had to have made choices and I still make them on a regular basis where I could pursue one avenue but for the sake of this work and for the sake of the kingdom of God I just kind of have to let that be a sacrifice Jesus is saying you've got to take up your cross every single day deny yourself every single day that's what the faith looks like That's what the walk looks like. And those who are desperately clinging to the world, trying to save their life, in the end they're going to lose it. And he makes out the point, what good is it? And we see famous pastors, right? Who they they get to the place where it's just about money. And can they get a private jet now? And can they get a mansion now out of their people? And instead of feeding the flock, they feed on the flock. They become a wolf. They don't even know it. They've gained the whole world, but they've sacrificed their soul. They're like Esau. They've traded in their inheritance for a bowl of soup, for momentary pleasures, for the pleasures of this world. And Christ goes on to say, hey, anybody who's ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of you in the day of glory. And in verse 27 perplexes some people, although it shouldn't, but it just demonstrates the lack of understanding we have. And and our understanding comes because of just the the whole generation that we've had of prophecy teachers who everything is about the end of days and the rapture, when not everything is about the end of days and the rapture. The kingdom of God was something that Christ proclaimed had, had arrived with him. And John the Baptist as well. And Jesus is saying, there's some here standing today that will not see death until they see the kingdom of God. He's not saying the final outcome, the new Jerusalem, like everything complete. Let me read to you the commentary from Matthew Henry real quick quick about verse 27 and then we'll move forward. Here's what he says. He says, lastly, to encourage them in suffering for him, he assures them that the kingdom of God would now shortly be set up. Notwithstanding the great opposition that was made to it, though the second coming of the Son of Man is a great distance, the kingdom of God shall come in its power and in its present age while some here present are alive. They saw the kingdom of God when the Spirit was poured out. When the gospel was preached to all the world and the nations were brought to Christ by it, they saw the kingdom of God triumph over the Gentile nations and in their conversion and over the Jewish nation and its destruction. 
You see, they saw that kingdom come, and the gospel preached, and lives changed, and the Holy Spirit poured out on the earth, and they saw the fall of Jerusalem which and, and, uh, and over Israel, who had rejected the Messiah. And they saw that great judgment. And then the kingdom of God has continued to spread throughout all the world, yes, with great opposition. Yes, at a great cost. Yes, through the blood of the saints. But it's because of that growth that here we are 2,000 years later, and yes, the world is still a miserable, evil place. But the gospel has been preached and preached even right now through this microphone. I'm able to share the good news about the kingdom of God and about the Messiah. I'm able to share the gospel of Luke with you right now all over the world. And we have all these tools available to us and Bibles and translations and we have the Dead Sea Scrolls now and we are learning, you know, we're able to learn Hebrew. I mean, do you see the kingdom of God has indeed grown? I hope that you can, but I believe that's what Jesus is getting at when he's talking to John. Or talk, I don't know why I just said that. I just assumed he was talking about John. I think the reason why I have that in my mind is because John seemed to be the only one who wasn't martyred at the end. And he saw and was given visions in the book of Revelation and all that. Maybe I just uttered something. Maybe it's just nonsense. Let's continue. Verse 28. And it came to pass, at about, an, about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James, and they went into the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem." But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with a sleep, and when they were awake they saw his glory, and the two men that stood with them. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud, and overshadowed them, and they feared and they entered into the cloud, and there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it close, and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. The Transfiguration is just an interesting story, and I don't have a lot of commentary to, to add to it today, other than the, we see that we've seen this cloud so to speak, before in the book of Exodus. But it appears the purpose of this transfiguration was, um, I mean, Jesus obviously had his purpose for showing it to Peter and John and James. But it's, it appears that Moses and Elijah appeared there and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. It's almost like this was a moment of encouraging Jesus about the work he was about to do and showing you know three of the apostles of the apostles that 
there is a glorified body. There really is a resurrection after all. Here's Moses. Here's, El- here's Elijah who apparently never died. Very interesting story. Let's continue on. Verse 37. It came to pass that on the next day when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is my only child. And lo, a spirit hath taken him, and he suddenly crieth out, and teareth him, that he foameth again, and brushing him hardly departeth from him. And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. And Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. And as he was yet a coming, the devil threw him down and tear him, and Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered every one at all things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. So here twice in chapter 9, we don't know exactly how much time was in between. Jesus has made it very clear to his followers that he was going to be betrayed by men, that he was going to be delivered up and even killed, but he was going to rise again on the third day. But the thing is, is that the understanding of what he's talking about was purposely hidden from them. As it says here in the scriptures that it was hid from them. They didn't. They just didn't get it. And the idea of it was too scary for them to ask for more details. Verse 46. Then there arose a reasoning among them which of men should be greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him. And he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me, and whosoever receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. And John answering said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him, because then he followeth not with us. And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face, and they went, and they entered into the village and the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his face was though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, will thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. You know, that's a scripture I bring up often. And undoubtedly, people get angry with me when I say it. But I'll say it again, because it's just the truth. You know, the Old Testament prophet talks about how woe to them who long for the day of the Lord. What is it to you? And then he describes how terrible it is. It's like you were running from a lion and a bear met you. It was like you rested, it was like you escaped one situation and rested your hand on the wall and then a serpent bit you. It's, it's an awful time. Why would you wish this on anything, on anyone? 
do not long for this day. I see it all the time. People just... They call themselves Christians, but they just excited, ecstatic at the idea that the earth is burning to the ground. And that's not really the mind of Christ. The only reason that it's taken so long for all this to come to an end, as the scriptures say, is because God is long-suffering, wishing that none would perish, right? Wishing that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. And here the disciples are like, hey, do you want us to call down fire like Elijah? on these people because they are, you know, they're, they're rejecting what we're trying to say. Jesus very clearly says, you do not know what manner of spirits you're of. That's not the mind of God, right? That's not the mind of Christ. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's life, but to save them. And yes, the day is coming when judgment and destruction will come. But be careful about longing for that to happen. Let's move forward. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee wheresoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put, on his, put his hand on the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And that is the end of chapter 9. Now, it may seem on the surface that Jesus is being harsh. The man's like, yeah, I'll follow you, uh, but let me first go bury my father. Or the other person's like, let me go say goodbye to my family. Jesus is making, I think, a couple of points. The first point he's making is you can't delay in your decision to follow Christ. That's the point of this, I believe. And I've been warning about that for the last few weeks now. Do not delay. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is promised to no man. And we are living in a very strange time in human history. A very dangerous time in human history. You need to get your mind right and your heart right and your spirit right. There's nothing that should cause you to delay in that decision to follow Jesus. And then he makes the point... No man having put his hands on the plow, so you've started the work, but now you're looking back, longing for the world. We have an example of that in the Old Testament, when Lot, his wife, and his two daughters are rescued from the city that was being destroyed with fire and brimstone, and they were told not to look back. Why? Because it's a metaphor for you can't follow God and then look back longing for the world. The wife looks back. And she's turned to a pillar of salt. You cannot put your hands on the plow. Do not start to work for the kingdom of God and then start longing for the good old days. When you were in your filth, when you were in your sin. Anybody who does that, they're not fit for the kingdom of God. And so if that's something that you've been doing, then you need to repent. And get your hands back on the plow and look forward. 
I say this to myself, not just to you. I look in the mirror when I say this. We're all naturally bent to do this. May God help us all. I pray that you've been blessed this morning. I know some of the things I say brings controversy. And I learned a long time ago to, to not worry about that because when you're talking about the Word of God, people get angry. People have their own pet doctrines that they're madly in love with that they have to protect at all cost. And that means coming and complaining and criticizing others. They are unable just to hear another perspective. I've also learned that that's a small number of people, that most people are just happy to be blessed and to listen and to ponder these things and to think for themselves. But when you look at comment sections and emails, you know, it's, it's kind of like the squeaky wheel situation. A majority of people don't act that way, don't feel that way. But the ones who can't help themselves, who have to be heard... They're the ones that scream and yell the loudest, and so then it feels like that's the majority of thought. And so we all have to remind ourselves of that as well, and I especially. Alright, I feel like I've done a lot of rambling this morning, so it's time to wrap it up. I pray that you've been blessed by this in the powerful name of Yeshua, in the powerful name of Jesus. Please consider supporting the podcast. You can do that by going to scriptureandprophecy.com, becoming a monthly Patreon subscriber, which really helps or there's one-time options through PayPal and through the post office box. Peace and grace be with all of you. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for your prayers. God bless.